Welcome to the Cruciform Life Church podcast, featuring the weekly sermons from our Sunday gathering. Please visit us online at www.cruciformlifechurch.org for more information. Now let's go to God's Word and uh, we'll be looking at Genesis 13 this morning. Genesis chapter 13 verses 2 to 18. We continue to learn from Abraham in our faith journey. If you're ready, please stand from your seats as I read Genesis 13, starting from verse 2. Now Abraham was rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with him, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possession were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At the time, the Canaanites and the Parasites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will take the right hand. To the, I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the Garden of Eden, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley. And Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom, as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were, were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Arise, walk through the land and, your, and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the ox of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your promises. And we thank you, Lord, that you will accomplish your promises not because of us, but despite of us. And Lord, today we pray that like Abraham, we would learn from our mistakes and we will always choose. We will always decide out of our trust in you, 
and your promises. Lord, we humbly ask that you will bless our study of your word today. And in your miraculous and powerful way, Lord, we pray that you will dispel and dislodge any form of unbelief in our hearts and embrace you as the God who saved us. We trust all these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We were trained during Kairos course, and I, I've come to know this couple, Brother Efren and Sister Celia. They're a lovely couple, and they seem to be loving the Lord genuinely. Their passion for mission is close to incomparable. That's how passionate they are. I saw how busy they were training churches about missions so that churches would be engaging themselves to missions. And one time I had a lunch with them, and that's when I came to know who they are personally. And I heard their testimony, and I learned that they were actually owners of a company. They were in a clothing business, and they supplied the big department stores in our country. And that's how big of a businessman they were. They were earning well. They were, living, they were living the life, so to speak. And then they, they happened to attend a, a mission course where their hearts were gripped by God and the mission of the Lord, and it set the direction of their lives. And what happened is that they sell their business. They sold their businesses, and they gave themselves fully to the work of the Lord in mobilizing churches for missions. And I look at that, and I realize how unpopular is this decision today. How scarce are those times that we see Christians who would decide in accordance to the will of the Lord in accordance to the promises of God and in accordance to the work of the Lord. And what is strange in this couple is that when I was with them and watched them closely, I, I see the beaming joy that they have. They seem to be happy. They seem to be contented. They seem to be so satisfied in life. And, and they, they seem to be so sure of, of what they're doing. Now, this picture is a picture of supposedly what a Christian life should be. I'm not saying we give up our job. I'm not saying we have to be like them. We will be full-time in, in the work of missions or in the work of the church. I'm just saying that, that we are supposed to decide in accordance to the will of the Lord. Our decisions in life would supposed to be displaying our trust in God and His promises. And yet, if we are to be honest and look at most of Christians today and even ourselves, we know that we do not decide out of our trust in God many times, but out of the opportunities that will come to us. Well, I understand that opportunities for a better life are, are hard to resist. It is hard to resist. When you get an opportunity where you're Present earning will be doubled. 
I can just sense how hard it is to, to deny ourselves of that if, if we know that it is not the will of God, but we, we just see the opportunity to have a better life. I, I see how hard to obey God. In fact, many of us would automatically say that this is the will of God. This must have been the will of God because there is a great opportunity to earn. And the sad reality is that imprudently, in other words, we don't think, we rashly run after these things. I see this happening all around. And yet at the same time, I saw Christians spending their lives maybe enjoying these things, yet you, you begin to sense that they do not have any regard at all at the work of the Lord. Like contented and settled with living this kind of life without any consciousness and awareness of what is God doing. And, and the funny thing about that is that you see them having all these things and yet they do not seem to be satisfied in life. They don't seem to be happy in life. There seems to be a problem, isn't it? What do we need to consider before jumping into these opportunities? Today we would learn that Abraham learned his lesson from the famine, which we studied last time, from willfully deciding to live the promised land for his own security, for the security of his own family. And we find here in this story that Abraham passively, passively I mean that he gave Lot the decision. And later on we would realize that the reason why he was able to do this is because of his trust in God. That's why we entitled this one, our sermon today, When We Choose to Trust God and His Promises. When we choose to trust God and His promises. Here in verses 2.18 of chapter 13, Abraham exhibited, Abraham showed, Abraham displayed the kind of trust needed to keep ourselves in the will of God. This is, he is an example to us here on what kind of trust we need to have. That like Abraham, we will be kept from swerving from the will of God, from God, from His redemptive plan in pursuit of these things. So Abraham just returned to the promised land. We read of that from Egypt, where he basically learned that faith is staying on the promises of God. And after he compromised, undermining the promises of God, denying and risking, risking his wife, God just brought him back to the promised land. And I believe that was a big lesson for Abraham. Now, in our story today, instead of putting his security first again, he seemed to learn to entrust to God his decisions. He seemed to learn to trust in the Lord. So Genesis chapter 13, verses 2 to 7, we would look at what was happening here. It reads, Now Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. That's how 
rich he was. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel. So he went back. The same way that he went to Egypt is the same way he went back to Egypt, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there, Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents. He, was, he seemed to be rich as well. And we find the problem here so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they, they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. So, this is somehow to show that Abraham was not just back. We see here, was, he was not just back to the land, but to his worship and dependence upon the Lord. I would like to particularly bring our attention first to the last part of verse 4, where it says there, And there Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. Now, that statement there doesn't seem to just copy chapter 12 and verse 8. But rather, we are told here that when Abraham went back to this place where he made an altar, we are told here, and he called upon the name of the Lord anew. He called upon the name of the Lord again. And like the rest of Genesis, if you are readers of the book of Genesis, we see God's faithfulness to his promises. Abraham was greatly blessed. Just as Isaac would be greatly blessed later, or Jacob would be greatly blessed, or Joseph would be greatly blessed. We see here that Abraham was greatly blessed. In a simple way of describing how blessed he was, we are told in verse 2 that he was very rich. And he was not just rich. He was very rich. Rich in livestock, rich in silver, rich in gold. And, and we see here some truth in its infant stage. This is the book of Genesis. Everything is just beginning to surface. And we see a particular truth here that is beginning to be developed. That a person who lived with a person, the righteous person, he too will be blessed. Living with Abraham, Lot described here as one who went with Abraham. We, we, we see here, we read here that he too was greatly blessed. As I have said, this is the, the infant stage because later on this would become big. And just a sidebar today, but we would later on realize that, that we would be blessed together with the righteous and the, and the, the righteous is Jesus. That these blessings that we experience from God is like Lot being blessed, not because of him itself, but because of Abraham. They were so blessed that according to verse 6, the land could not support them dwelling together. 
And not only that the land could not support them dwelling together, we are also told in verse 7 that it resulted to quarreling of their herdsmen. And clearly, Abraham and Lot were not okay with this. Abraham, in verses 8 to 9, told Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. For we are kinsmen. We're not supposed to be quarreling. We're not supposed to be fighting. We will not allow this situation to ruin our relationship. Is not the whole land before you? One way of saying, the whole land is before you to choose. Separate yourself from me. Now that's their solution to their problem before them. The only way we can solve this problem, we love each other, we want to stay together. It would have been fun, but because of this situation, our solution to this is, let's separate. Let's separate. But there's a, some, something very strange that Abraham did here. The rest of verse 9 tells us, Abraham saying, if you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. It seemed like Abraham was just letting Lot decide. How hard is that? You think of your future. You think of the future of your family. And here you have an opportunity to decide for what is good for you and what is good for your family. But you just simply said, decide, Lot. And the place that you will not decide to have, then that would be, that would fall on me. And it, it seemed like Abraham was okay to end up with the disadvantaged part of the promised land. Well, the, the choice actually here is that Lot still choose part of the promised land, but going towards Sodom, as far as Sodom. Actually, he lived beside Sodom, but, but it's still part of the promised land. And Abraham was on the other part. And as far as the story is concerned, these that Lot chose is the better part, humanly speaking. The better part. Now this picture's here, this picture Abraham here, that he really he displayed trust in God, confidence in the Lord, trust in the promises of God to him. And that's why instead of Compromising his relationship with Lot. I like this because I, I think Abraham weighed the situation and they have to separate. He understands it that he has to separate. But he does not want to compromise his relationship with Lot. Which is really opposite to many times. We don't care about relationships so long as we get what we want. So we have to learn from, from Abraham here. Now the story would show to us the relationship between our trust in God, trusting in the promises of God, and growing in our worship of God. We see these three things interwoven together, our trust in God, our trust in the, or staying in the promises of God, and growing in our worship of God. Which leads us to ask, what kind of trust in God? If I meet trust in God, what kind of trust 
that I need to have that will keep me in the will of God and grows my worship of God at the end of the day. I, I need this trust. I need this kind of trust. I need this kind of faith in God. Now, the structure or the story is structured by these expressions. In verse 10, you would read this. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw. Notice that one. And then jump to verse 14. God commanded Abraham, lift up your eyes and look. That's where the message lies there. Like it was Lot who see, but for Abraham, it was God who shows. From this, we will have two things to learn about the trust we need to stay in the promises of God and, and grow in our worship of God. First, a trust in God and His promises instead of what our eyes sees or see. Second, a trust in God to fulfill what He shows us, which really refers to His promises. So let's look at the first one, a trust in God and His promises instead of what our eyes see. How many times that we are really guilty of deciding in accordance to what we see? How will we understand Abraham's gesture? Let's understand this is very strange gesture from Abraham saying, The land is before you, Lot, separate from me. Choose. Choose. And whatever is left, that's mine. We have to remember the promise was given to Abraham. He could have thought like, oh, this promise, this land was given to me. God promised to me and you just came along with me. Let me choose first. Very strange, very strange gesture of Abraham, letting Lot decide. And there are several considerations we can make here. I would like to draw three considerations. First, I would like to propose that the reason why, one of the reasons why Abraham was able to do that is because Abraham knew that the blessing of God is all he needs after he greatly experienced it. That is all that he needed after experiencing the blessing of God for him. And Abraham come to understand it's not about a place. It's not about having the best part of the place. It's about Having the blessing of God, having God with me. Let us first acknowledge that in the book of Genesis here, the greatest of God's blessing is displayed in separation. Here, of course, we see that the land could no longer provide for both Abraham and Lot, and that they were separated. Later on in chapter 21, we will also see Abraham's separation from Abimelech. Later on, we also see the separation between Jacob and his father-in-law Laban. We see this separation in the book of Genesis. And all of these separations were because of the greatness of God's blessing. People were either threatened by their presence, like Abimelech was threatened by the presence of Abraham. But it all leads us to the blessing of God. And Abimelech's words will be the clearest here. Listen to the words of Abimelech to Abraham in Genesis chapter 21, verse 22b to 23. It says, God is with you 
This is Abimelech speaking to Abraham in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal kindly with me and with the land where you have sojourned. So this is a pagan person, but he acknowledged the hand of God in Abraham, and it led to their separation. So this is somehow shows to us that it was clear to Abraham that he trusted in God alone for his needs. And that's why he called upon the name of the Lord in, in verse 4b. The very thing that proves the genuineness of Abraham's worship. And that is he trusts in God alone. We know that the line, the godly line, if you remember the godly line who first described as people who called upon the name of the Lord in Genesis 4.26. And Abraham also was called upon the name of the Lord in chapter 12 verse 8. And once more, we are told here in verse 4b of chapter 13 that he called upon the name of the Lord. This seems to suggest that believers, true believers, true godly people have their full trust not on things, but on God. And then I wonder how we can worship God on a Sunday, raise our voice to him. But then we put our trust on people. We trust our, put our trust on other things. We put our trust in our work. True worshipers of God, we do not just sing songs. True worshipers of God will be known by their full trust in the Lord. People whose trust is in the Lord need not in anxiety, Argue with people to secure what he thinks is best for him to the detriment of relationship. Isn't it, again, the problem with most of us? We sacrifice our relationships, our relationships with our family members. Didn't we see a family fighting over lands, things, inheritance? And when it happens, especially for us Christians, it just shows that our trust is on those things instead of God. Abraham is the exact opposite. He was able to say, choose lot, choose. Because his trust is in the Lord. And like Abraham, somehow we can save our relationship. We can keep ourselves from those jerk. Decisions that undermines the feelings of other people because if only we can get what we want. So first thing that we find the reason why Abram was able to do that is because his trust is not on things, but on God. He learned that. Secondly, Lot's decision here in verse 10 down to verse 11 is actually set in contrast to Abram's gesture of letting Lot decide. Look at how, how different were Abram's gesture and Lot's decision. It's, it is set in contrast. So by 
by looking at what Lot did here, the decision of Lot, then we will also have, we will also be led to understand more how Abraham was able to do that. Genesis 13, verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. And we are told in the direction of Zoar towards Sodom and Gomorrah. But, but this is before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, which, which tells us that was a prosperous city. So, look at that in verse 11. So, or because of what he saw, when he lifted up his eyes and he saw this, Jordan Valley is well watered because of that. That was the basis of Lot's decision. Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley. But we are told here that there's a problem with this decision because Lot journeyed east. Thus, they separated from each other. Looking at Lot, we realized that he cared nothing but what, his, but what he sees as good for him. In fact, we are told by Moses here that the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And Lot cared not for those factors. He did not care for those factors. Because he only focused on what he saw as good for him and his household. Well, this usually happens if what is most important to us are things or where we put our trust is on things or things that are, are idols. If things become more important to us, if success is more important to us, is if our bank accounts is more important to us, we care less about what honors God. We care less about sin. So long as we would have these things, mamaya natin isipin yan how we can honor God or if, if we will be tempted or whatever. That's, that takes a back seat. Because what takes the front seat are the things that we want to have. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw. Now this is the book of Genesis and we've been in the book of Genesis for quite some time. We already know what happened to Eve, for example. She saw the tree and found it good and she did not care about God's word in Genesis 3.6. We already see Genesis chapter 6 when the supposed to be lion or godly lion saw the daughters of men and they found them attractive and they married them, though it meant compromising their faith in the Lord. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 2. We already see in the, in, the, in the book of Genesis that the problem is when we see things and we decide in accordance to what we see. Here we find it again. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw. He ran after the things that he sees as good, regardless of its implication, regardless of the prospect, regardless of the chance, 
regardless of the possibility that in this decision, I may get these things, but I might end up disobeying God. Regardless of that. As a good herdsman, he was. Maybe Lot knew how important it is that his livestock, he was a man of livestock, that his livestock have an abundant food and water supply. So that when he saw the Jordan Valley, like, like a match made in heaven, I am a man of livestock and, and the Jordan Valley seemed to fit in with my resume, with my qualification, with my business. He knew that it was the best place for him. Now, we will begin to see here that the place for those things, I'm not saying we do not consider those things, but it has its own place. But it cannot take center stage because Lot is supposed to look at Sodom and then think like, let me take a step back here. It's good, but I think I'll fall into sin. I would rather not have those things than sin against God. Jordan Valley is described in verse 10 as well-watered. Well-watered. And as one who probably heard about the Garden of Eden and observed successful progressive cities like Egypt, he probably saw here something in common. In the Garden, I saw the story, I heard the story of it, and, and I also heard, I also saw Egypt, and there's one thing that is in common, it is a well-watered plain, a well-irrigated place. They seem to be the key to success. You need to live in a place which is well-watered. I can imagine Lot beginning to imagine how successful can I be living in this kind of place, living in a well-watered place comparable to the Garden of Eden and that of Egypt. Because Egypt is known for its Nile River. He could have been excited to just jump in, rush. This is good. No considerations. Sounds like us. Where if we see this is good opportunities, we just forget about God's word, forget about what God wants. This is opportunity, let's rush. Now let's look at here. What is wrong with this? And what is wrong with Lot here? Let's dissect this a little bit. Lot's decision shows that he did not understand that the prosperity he experienced in comparison to Abraham was not because of the place itself, but because of the blessing of God. This is the difference between Lot and Abraham. Abraham knew that the most important thing is the blessing of God. For Lot, he thought it's about the place. He thought it's about the opportunity. He thought it's about how big the salary is. He thought it's about uh, the, the, the opportunity for big business. And, and this is what I'm afraid of. Many of us could be, could Relate more to Lot than Abraham, isn't it? The pop until today, we've been a Christian for quite some time. But it's still about opportunities, and we have never really understood it. It's about the blessing of God. Secondly, 
And this is in line with the first one. Lot did not care about living beside a sinful city. He did not care. The difference is clear. If you look at, I think, verse 12 and how it has been described there, that Abram lived in the land of Canaan, but Lot, Lot lived among the cities of the valley. Lot is your city boy. One commentator commented, Abram dwells in Canaan. Lot lives in the periphery of Canaan. So it was still the Canaan place, but he was in the periphery, and we understand why he moved himself as far as Sodom. He was actually flirting with the world. <laughs> I realize many of us Christians just make sure, oh, I did not cross the line. I'm still in the promise of God, did not cross the line. And we think it is noble to bring us really close there and, and tell ourselves, I did not cross. I, I made sure I did not cross. I did not sin. I'm just here. Instead of running away from sin. Didn't Jesus said, didn't Jesus taught his disciples to pray? That not to put them in temptation? This is the heart of a Christian, a heart of the one who really loves the Lord. He does not say, have I crossed the line and bring him closer? He would not bring, for example, his girlfriend where they are alone in a room and think, we did not do it. But you put yourself at the edge where you can just fall any time. When a Christian happens to that, like Lot, this is not the strongest spirituality and boast. Like, yeah, I was, I was living there. The people are sinning and I kept myself. Why did Lot draw himself near the edge? Why did he bring himself near the edge? Like, Really living beside Sodom, though he knew that the people there were great sinners and wicked. Why do people move to the cities? I remember that going in Silvino Lubos, realizing that everyone there wants to come to Manila because they saw Manila as the solution to their poverty. The thing here is that Lot could even justify that he is still in the promised land. Yet he did not realize he was not just separating from Abraham, he was in the direction away from God. Look at verse 11 again. It says there, So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. And we already touched this. In the book of Genesis, journeying east is a metaphor used to journey away from God. Genesis 3, 4, 24, chapter 11, verse 2, in the Tower of Babel, they were journeying east. In fact, in fact, Lot did not just stay beside Sodom, he eventually stayed in Sodom. Genesis 19, where God has to plead, where Abraham has to plead before God to save Lot. So while Lot can justify himself that he was still living in the promised land or at least part of the promised land, figuratively speaking, he was moving towards the world. He was moving away from God. 
in pursuit of the world, which I'm afraid is a picture to most of our lives. And while nothing has happened yet here in Genesis 13, look at this, we have something to learn here. Because nothing has happened yet. Lab can probably say, I did not cross the line. I'm still in the promised land. But we are already told in Genesis 13 and verse 13 that Sodom were wicked and great sinners against the Lord. We are already told that one. It's like telling us already in advance he will eventually fall. Lab knew it. And yet, despite of the fact that he knew what kind of city was Sodom, thus we have the term sodomy, which really speaks of great wickedness like homosexuality as we look at Genesis 19. They become an emblem, a picture, a symbol of sinfulness. Still, Lot chose to live with them. Now, this is not like us today living with worldly people or people who does not know Jesus. No, 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 that's not the picture. His decision to live beside Sodom, despite knowing the wickedness of the city, is clearly because he wanted to enjoy the best of the world. Lot is your typical believer who might have desired to live for God. I want to live for God, but at the same time, I want the best of the world. And, and people who, who would say, I love God and want to worship Him, but at the same time, what's wrong with also gaining all these things would probably justify themselves and argue, what's wrong with it? I'm not going to do what they're doing. And yet, oblivious to the fact, oblivious to the fact that just by flirting with the world, it is quite obvious that He loves the world. He toys around the idea, he, he entertained the idea that you can be obeying God while enjoying the best of the world. Is having these things wrong? No. There is no problem with these things. You know what's the problem here? You know what's the problem with Lot? You know what's the problem with us when we do that? The problem lies in our hearts. The problem is, if we are to be honest with ourselves, we love the world. So when our decision is simply based on what we can get or what we can enjoy and aware that we're not putting God first with our decisions, maybe Let's secure first what we can get and then later on think of how we can honor God. If God is not first in our decision, if pleasing Him is not first in our decision, if obeying Him is not first in our decisions, it, it just shows that we love the world. Besides, listen to Jesus. Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other. That, I think, is clear. It is not both and. It is either or. You ought to choose who or what to love. You cannot have both. You're mad. You're crazy. You're deceived. 
if you think it will work. Like if you're a Christian today and you think my love for the world and my love for God can work together so long as I would not do things that, you know, could be considered sin, we are deceived. And yet, again, I, I really believe and I really think that many of us is guilty of this. We can relate more to Lot than Abraham. And let me just remind you, and there's a warning, flirting with the world is a dangerous thing. We would never know what danger awaits us. Lot, Abraham has to rescue him twice. Kings were fighting. Lot was also captivated. Abraham has to rescue him in Genesis 14. God came and, and decided to rain down fire in Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham has to intercede for Lot. You'd never know the danger. Thus, I will add a third thing about this gesture of Abraham to let Lot decide. Abraham let Lot choose because what matters is, again, not the place, but God. Abraham knew that he will still be in the promised land. Choose Lot. Peace whatever. I will still be in the promised land. That's fine with me. If I will not get the best part, it's fine with me. Because he knew God is with him. He knew that the presence of God is most important. Abraham understood it. And the people in the scripture understands this. Sounds like Moses, isn't it? What will it be if I'll be in the promised land if your presence will not be with us? This is a profound truth that I believe every believer should understand if we would not be chasing after everything. Like where is Juan de la Cruz? He was, he was working here. Where is he now? He's no longer living there because he's in pursuit of something. And that with the next time you know, he's another place because he's in pursuit. He's pursuing a lot of things. Like a rolling stones that gather no moss, gathers no moss. He could not stay himself in one place. Because he never understood that the most important thing in life as believer is the presence of God. So when we truly trust God, we will not run after the world. Because we understand that what is important in life is God and His blessing. That is what is important. The favor of God is what is important in life. That explains why Lot, or rather Abraham, was able to let Lot choose. His trust is upon the Lord. And like a meek, that meek man whom Jesus said he will, will inherit the earth, Abraham was like a meek man who did not force the issue. So with his trust in the Lord, Abraham might have separated with Lot only because of necessity and not of separation of relationship. There are times like that we have to choose, but I hope that our decision is only of necessity and not have to sacrifice relationship because we force things. Decisions that we make because of our love for the world will bring us out of the will and promises of God and compromise our worship of Him. Very important. This leads us to our second main point. 
a trust in God to fulfill what he shows us. And what he would show us, what he showed Abraham here is, is his promises that he already gave. Not a new thing. He just reiterated to Abraham what he already said in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. And this is a very important thing, by the way, here. Because this comes after Abraham chose to trust in God. Which somehow tells us that if, if we want to see these promises of God unfolding in our lives, if we want to enjoy more of, of these promises of God, then we ought to live a life of trust and obedience to Him. After Abraham said, choose, and it really shows his trust in God, in verse 14, Abraham, or rather the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, you, your offspring, can also be counted. Arise, walk through the land, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. There is two things that we see here from Abraham of a life of trust. I want to dissect this just for clarity. First, if we live a life of trust like Abraham, we need to trust in God's promises. God did not show anything again new. He did not come up with something new to Abraham. He was bringing Abraham deeper into his promises. Here we find that the expression, what you see is what you get, takes a different turn, a slightly different turn. Here we find that God would say, what I said is what you get. This Christianity, by the way. What I said is what, you, is what you get. You don't get to force me to do something I did not say. And although did not mention every details in Genesis 12 verses 1 to 3, because I think the focus here is the faith of Abraham to believe that God will give him the land. And yet we really know that God is just reaffirming his promises to Abraham. He was just bringing it back. He was just restating it. He was just reminding Abraham of what he already promised Abraham. And looking at that, we can already expect what God will do, isn't it? He will always act in accordance to his promises. He will always act in accordance to his promises. Now today, land is still Precious somehow, just ask Mani Villar for it. And you know how important the land. They said he already bought lands in the moon. In case. Yet we know that the people today might not think of acquiring a land anymore, just as much as filling their bank accounts with money. In, a time, in the time of Abraham, though, land is most precious. It was most precious. The Lord commanded Abraham to lift up his eyes and look. 
And there is a good reason here. When Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, there is a good reason that his sight reached where heavens meet the earth. Have you tried that one in the province? When you looked far on the horizon where the heaven or the, the heaven reached the sea, meets the sea or the heavens meets land, I think it was an unhindered sight. Parang nasa probinsya kung saan naaabot yung paningin mo. And then as he looked at the farthest horizon, God said, with your selfie stick on, make a 360 degree turn. For God said, northward, southward, eastwards, westward. And so as he turns, he looks at where heavens meet the earth. And before Abraham could even ask God, or why, God said, for all the lands that you see, all the lands that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. This has been stunning for Abraham. This is stunning sight. You did a 360 degree turn with your sight, Riches to where heavens meet the earth. And then God said, you see that? I will give it all to you. I was been in a pineapple plantation in Ormok, where I was at the middle of it, and I was awed at the vastness of the land. And in a literal way, there is a sense of awe in my heart. Like, wow. You see those pineapples? like a sea of pineapple. I had a sense of awe in my heart, but I, I suspect that my feeling at the time was surely nothing to how Abraham felt when he saw all these things. For some reason, first, it was not a vast, when I, what I saw was not as vast as the land that Abraham saw that God gave him. Second, Abraham was living where land is, could be the most precious thing. Like land is, Connected to your own life, where land was so most precious. And thirdly, he surely had that greater sense of awe because I was not told by God that it will become mine. For Abraham, after he had that sense of awe, and God said, I will give it all to you. In light of verse 17, where God asked Abraham to walk through the length and breadth of the land. And again, God repeated, for I will give it to you. I mean, Abraham, this is Abraham, a nomad who, tra- who traveled from city of Ur to Haran and then entering the promised land with his small household and now told, walk into it, for all of this will be yours. For real? This is surreal for Abraham. See, it's another thing when God promised Abraham he will give this land when he was still in Ur or when he was still in Haran. It's another thing. It's another thing to be walking in it already. Feel the heart of Abraham. He was walking on it already and Abraham must have realized this is really happening. This is really happening. How, how fast were the turn of events? I'm already here and I saw the the vastness of the land, and walking in it. This is really happening. How do you think Abraham, for a moment, how do you think Abraham felt? How do you think 
Abram's faith in the truth that God is a promise keeper, a covenant-keeping God, which is, by the way, I believe I would argue, the greater blessing here than just the land itself. How much was this truth been pressed deep into his heart? I'm already here. I'm walking in it. I, I stand in it. I can touch it. I see it all. And maybe Abram at this point, his heart is filled like this God is a covenant-keeping God. This God is not joking around. This God is serious and is faithful to everything he says. You see, when we faithfully trust God in our de- decision, God will lead us n- nowhere but deeper into his promises. Deeper into his promises that we may know him, a covenant-keeping God, deeper. Which I think is foundational in life. When I'm facing this problem and I know exactly this is my God, my God says I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And I see this kind of God who will never fail in all his promises. Then yes, pandemic and all, but I'm holding on to my God because he is faithful. Seeing God more in the sight of heaven is more precious than gold. More costly than silver, more beautiful than diamonds. When I saw my God faithful hanging on that cross, it's the greatest sight I could ever see. God wants us to trust Him, hold on to His promises, so that as He unfolds these promises into our lives, we will not just enjoy these promises but we will enjoy him more. Surely Abraham worshipped God in verse 18. Because the greatness of the promises was becoming more real to him, but more so because he was brought to a better view of this God who appeared to him. In Genesis 12 verse 7. Should we want to experience more of God's promises? Most especially a greater sense of how faithful God is and grow in our relationship with Him? Should we want that? Should we want to see more of God and and see these promises of God in our lives? Then we ought to be like Abraham to decide in accordance or to decide out of our trust in God that we may simply obey Him in our lives. Just maybe a sidebar here, but it's here in verse 16, this is why, verse 16, I, I really try, I know that the immediate fulfillment to that is Israel. They would have this, they would grow. But I see in the book of Numbers, they were numbered. I see how David called a census and they were numbered. But we are told here that, that Abraham's offspring will not be numbered, cannot be counted. And that's why even if it is the immediate fulfillment will be Israel per se, the greatest fulfillment and the greater fulfillment is Abraham's spiritual sons, the nations, who like Abraham, puts their trust and faith in the Lord. Secondly, so a life of trust is trusting in God's promises. Life of trust, secondly, is trusting in who God is. Trusting in who God is. Genesis 13, verse 7b, we are told, At this time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. 
So when God said this to Abraham, the, the Canaanites and the Parasites were still dwelling. Genesis 12, verse 6b, we are also told at that time the Canaanites were in the land. This, later on when Moses and the Israelites first attempted to possess the land, the Israelites backed off for they said the people were giants and we looked like grasshoppers to them. This small household of Abraham would rather look like a fancy dreamer if he would just rely on himself. I can do this. I can do this. I can own this land. Really. To own that land at this point would be really unrealistic. What makes this realistic? What will make Abraham believe that his offspring will eventually own the land? Look at verse 15, verse 16, and verse 17, and this is key here. In verse 15, God said, I will give to you. In verse 16, he said, I will make your offspring, I, and again, I will give it to you in verse 17. It's like, yes, the Canaanites are there. They were dwelling in the land. They are more powerful than you. But listen, look at me, Abram. Do you trust me on this? Do you trust me on this? Beautiful. And like the Israelites in Moses' times who were who did not want to change their decision not to enter the promised land, let's go back to Egypt. Although Caleb and Joshua said, no, 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 we, our God will give them to us. God has taken their protection. God will destroy them for us. We can do this. But the Israelites were saying, no, 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 we'll go back. Let's choose a leader for us that will bring us back to Egypt. Abraham, in contrast to them, believed. He believed. Very interesting. Look at the promise. If you, if you are somebody like me who imagines things when I'm reading scripture, we do not hear of Abraham explaining how he looks at things or how small is he to think that he can possess the land. He did not. What is he telling us? It is telling us that at least in this point, he simply accepted what God had said. You say so. And obviously here, the focus is not what will be given him. Land and descendants, that's not the focus. The focus here is who? Who will give this to me? We can talk about the vastness of the land and the great number of descendants, but why would I believe that I would eventually have them? Abraham could have thought. I believe because of the word I. If there's one word that is very much important, as many as words are there, the most important thing there is the word I. The one speaking. I will give it to you. I believe this. This may not happen in my time, but my descendants will have this. I believe this. Because the one speaking is not just another person or the gods whom in the city of Ur who have never spoken to me, have never seen. They're just saying they're there, but I've never seen them. But this God who talked to me is the God who appeared to me in Genesis 12 verse 7. He already appeared to me. He is real. He is the true God. And here he is speaking to me again. 
We read that, that one, Genesis 12, verse 7, that the Lord appeared to Abram. The real God. And he knew this God. He knew that this God is capital L, capital O, capital R, and capital D. YH, WH, Yahweh. Which at this point, Abraham knew who this God is. That this is a God who can do all things. And surely it has a connection when it says there, and he called upon the name of Yahweh. He knows the God whom he called upon. And this God whom he called upon is Yahweh. The God who will do whatever he wants to do. The God who is sovereign. The God who is omnipotent. The God who is most powerful. And not only that, the God who is a faithful covenant keeper. That is why, as we come to verse 18, we read of this. So, Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the ox of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built to the altar. Look at the word so there. It connects us with what's happening in verses 14 to 17. Tells us that this move of Abraham displaced that he believed in God's word given in verses 14 to 17. Because of the word of God given in verse 14 to 17, so Abraham moved. And we get again the fact that this is a faith move. This is a faith move. This is not a career move. This is a faith move. Because he settled at the ox of Mamre. Which we already said. This is the only form or way of worship that, God, that Abraham knew at this time. That worship should be done in an ox tree. But the, but the object is no longer the pagan gods, but Yahweh. Thus he built an altar to Yahweh, the Lord. And because, another thing that I want us to see in the Genesis, because these altars were like boundaries, emphasizing this is part of the promised land. This is part of the promised land. Abraham then believed that it will eventually be given to his descendants. And it was a bold faith. Because he's no longer putting it in between Bethel and Ai or Shechem for it. He did this one in Hebron, and Hebron was a capital city at the time. So you see Abraham, like in a big city, putting his, his boundary again, believing that, yeah, this is a big city, but God will give this to us. And Abraham believed it will be given him, not because something is happening, but because of who God is. This is key to faithfully living our lives in the will and promises of God, isn't it? That in this life where many times the promises of God that He will provide for our needs, that He will be there for us, that He would comfort us, that He would strengthen us, are not in our hands. And when we make decisions, sometimes it's hard to make those decisions. But why should I make those decisions? It's because while I do not 
see probably at some point opportunities like this. But I know who my God is. It's not about the land. It's not about the descendants per se. It's about the I. I will give it to you as far as Abraham is concerned. So the trust then, the kind of trust which results to staying in the will of God and grow our worship to him, like Abraham, is one which focuses on God and his promises instead of what our eyes see. I hope, church, that we would grow. It's no longer just about what our eyes see. It's about what we know of our God and our promises of it's about what God will show us in His Word. Not just about what we see. Abraham grew. Unlike his willful response to leave the, the land where, when there was famine. Look at Abraham. I hope this is what will happen to us. Abraham learned to entrust everything to God. Instead of taking matters into our own hands, into his own hands. His trust in the Lord is displayed in not forcing things to the detriment of his relationship with Lot. More so that, that he did not force things so that he would be like Lot, toying with sin. When Abraham learned to trust God, Abraham ended up aligned with the plan of God and grow in his worship. Of God. He once again made an altar for the Lord. Church, as we seek to learn this, remember God said, I will. I will. But what about, we ask ourselves, what about the tendencies of Abraham, which is also our tendencies? The tendency to go to Egypt. What about Abraham's sin? Will God just condone that? Will he still say, I will? Even though Abraham would once again later on deny his own wife? Will it not change God's promise of I will towards Abraham? This I will of God, like I would fully fulfill this, has reached to the length of dealing of Abraham's and our tendencies to go to Egypt. He dealt with our sinfulness so that nothing will keep him from what he said, I will do this. I will do this. Nothing will keep him because he already dealt with our Egypt tendency, with our sins. When he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to deal with our sins. Looking at that, looking at the cross, because if there's one thing that will probably Turn God from his promises, that's probably my sin. But now I look at the cross and the sin has been fully fulfilled. Now we can say, yes, he will. He will. Thus, I need not to be like Lot who flirted with the world. You don't have to do that. We don't have to do that. But stay at the center of God's promises. I need not to force my way to get things. Not force my way. Just as Abraham did not force his way. I can trust that God will be faithful to his promises to me. I will move if God moves. 
I will stay if God wants me to stay. I will wait if God wants me to wait. Because I trust Him, I can live my life in obedience to Him. Church, listen. If, if there's something I pray to the Lord, is that we can say that I'm living my life in obedience to, to God, not in pursuit of opportunities, not in pursuit of things, but I'm living in obedience to God. My God is a faithful. My God is a lavish God. He gives me grace. He gives me blessings. Yes, but I need not to pursue those things. I can live in obedience to God because my God says, I will. As a student, I can just be faithful with my studies and what God called me to do at this time and not hear the things. Be faithful with what is in front of you. As an employee, I can just be faithful to the work that God has given me now instead of keeping on searching for better opportunities that might just derail my walk with God. As a parent, I can just be faithful to train my children in the ways of the Lord and not have to worry of what I want them to be in the future. As a church member, I can just seek to be faithful to my commitment to the church. As a pastor, I can just seek to be faithful and need not succumb to the pressures of being seen as successful and disobey God. In other words, all of us, students, parents, teachers, employees, pastors, all of us, members in the church, we can all just live our lives in obedience to God. We can all seek to obey and worship the Lord because He said, I will. Jesus will return one day and everything will be okay. That's our hope. So when we choose to trust God and His promises, we will be kept from straying away in pursuit of what we find as good. We will be led to see more of the unfolding of God's promises. And we will deepen in our worship and obedience to God. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you are a God who is faithful to your covenant promises. And thank you, Lord, that you have made us understand that you are Yahweh. You are the God who will do whatever you want to do. And we pray, Lord, that understanding these things will change our perspective in life. Will change our prayer. That our prayer, Lord, becomes, let me live my life in obedience to you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Cruciform Life Church Podcast. Check out more gospel-centered messages at www.cruciformlifechurch.org or subscribe to this podcast at Spotify.